Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays Amin's floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get Amin in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet... You can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Tom, which modern amenity would you miss most on the Oregon Trail? The internet. I'm a little disappointed, Tom. A little millennial for my taste. You should embrace the internetless Oregon Trail. However, I would miss my airline miles. This is 
Back Your Knives. I'm Kevin Arnovitz. <laughs> and I'm Tom Haberstroh. Tom, final four. Here we are. We have Shoda. We have Gabe. We have Dawn. And we have Jamie, who is back from the dead. Last Chance Kitchen Entry. The Underdog. And we have a quick fire right off. Yeah. The aforementioned Oregon Trail only foods and accompaniments that would be available on the Oregon Trail. The pioneers making that six-month trip. That's what they're dealing with. I feel like that's the millennial threshold generation gap. Like anything younger than me, they might not know what are you going to ford the river means or a die of dysentery. So I feel like a lot of listeners watching Top Chef – who might be on the younger side or watching and being like, what's the big deal of Oregon Trail? I love that game. And I did love this kind of pitch is the idea of um, you're only made available the ingredients of the Oregon Trail. So a lot of dried cured foods that they presumably would be having available to them. But it did kind of feel like almost like an afterthought is like, before we go to the finale, we have one more quick fire. It seemed a little like improvising a bit. To me. Essentially, the limitations of this quick fire are you're not going to have citrus, which is such an important aspect of cooking because it, it just, you know, as the chefs explained, it, it just provides acid, you know, and Kwame has asked at least seven times this season, is there acid in this dish? And also, you would not have butter and oil. So you're working with lard and, you know, there's not a lot to go on in terms of that sort of base. So really, it comes down to who can most creatively find substitute for acid? Who would you peg as the favorite going into this particular quick fire when you look at the the challenge is just dried, not much acid? I feel like Gabe would figure it out. Yeah. Just with his flavors, the Mexican-American flavors, I feel like he'd be able to create that brightness out of nothing. That's who I would have had as well. And also, despite the fact that he hasn't won a quick fire – he is consistently toward the top of quick. He's demonstrated a quick fire. Jamie's hit or miss. Shota stuff tends to be less conducive to quick fire, you know, the delicate nature of it than to elimination. And am I right that he has performed better in, in elimination than quick fires? I believe he has. Quick fires are a little bit more outside the box. And so I think for Shota, who's very loyal to Japanese cuisine, I feel like it just creates more issues for him when he has to do it in a in a kind of like a top chefy, this is gonna be a curveball quick fire. But in terms of the stats, actually Shota, I, I reviewed this after the episode, is he doesn't have as many wins this season as I thought he would. Um I thought he was just you know winning just about every other episode, but he's got one quick fire win and going into this episode two elimination challenges win. So it isn't He's not as good as he is in the elimination challenges, but he's not Gabe or Brian Valtaggio. Gabe had one coming in, Shoto one, Dawn three, the last three. So that's kind of where we stand. And essentially, two of the chefs do well. Two of them fall short. Yeah, Dawn with the two fishy, the, the, the fish flavor base for her porridge. I really love that idea. It looked delicious. Uh, but they they felt that the that the herring sauce was just a little too pungent or a little too strong for the dish, and I thought Shota um, the parsnip puree he felt pretty good about the jerky cured uh, salmon, but it didn't provide any of that moisture. It was a little too dry. But Gabe with the campfire trout, I mean, I looked at that dish and said I would eat that nine times out of nine. Oh, it was just yeah, yeah. that looked so good, and the fact that he prepared that without you know, the butter or the oil, and he was able to just 
create that dish with all of those confinements, I thought was really illustrative of how good Gabe is at Top Chef. But Jamie takes this one with the the Romanesco with walnuts and salmon. What did you think of her dish? It was lovely. And, and clearly she nailed it with that sauce. I mean, that apparently was um, that was the, the star of the show. Um, the Romesco looks really good, uh, you know, in the texture. I think that I want to learn how to do those crispy parsnips because they're one of those things that, you know, I feel like crunch is the hardest texture to get if you're a home cook, right? Mm-hmm. It, it just, it requires kind of really technically sound frying, you know, whenever you have those sort of, you know, whether it's, it's, it's those dried potatoes or, or the parsnips or just crunch is a really tough texture. And I have made it my mission just as I was going to do, you know, I did Shota's duck and, and trying to learn purees, my next thing is I want to learn how to do those little crispies that you can just – you've got to sprinkle over a fish. Fish is by definition soft and it just – it adds so much there. So, you know, bravo to her. Um, I do love you – know, you're right about Gabe. Like there's something beautiful about a butterflied fish. You know, that, that's been filleted. You know, the salsa matcha is a great idea because what he does is it's an earthy salsa, right? Like it's, it's seeds and it was perfect for the limitations that the challenge presented. So, you know, like really good choice. Where is a dubious choice by Dawn? You know, um, squash and, and Padma made reference to this. Squash needs some time. I mean, you can fire roasted, but it needs a little time. And the fish base at the bottom of a forage, you know, she essentially almost, I mean, I, I guess you could call it kind of a quasi dashi. Um, but I imagine that it was just kind of, a, you know, it, it didn't, you know, it frankly didn't look as appetizing as the others. And, and you're right about Shota, you know, curing salmon in some sense, you kind of lose the yummy fattiness of salmon. I mean, that's the coolest thing about salmon, which is it, it's a fatty fish. Now, by the way, I mean, there's nothing, I mean, I like salmon jerky as much as the next person. It's a good snack, but you know, salmon should sort of embrace its fattiness, in my opinion. Right. And if you're not going to have butter, you might as well have the buttery salmon, right? Yeah, the the exactly. salmon naturally produces that butteriness to it. And that's, you know, when you get a really fresh sashimi salmon, it just, there's nothing better, in my opinion. It's just so good. Although I got to tell you, I still don't know because I never see him smoothing it like over the ice. Like I never, I still want to know how Shota gets those purees so smooth, where they look like almost like the plastic Japanese food that almost like it, it just, I want to get those that in that little spoon and he puts that little rivet in it and puts like, I am all about Shota's plating. And I mean, and I've tried and I have failed. So it, I don't know if Shota listens, but Shota, how do you get your purees so smooth? Hey, Kevin. So one of the things I loved about the quick fire is that we got like a lot of facts about the Oregon Trail and just like scientific factoids about scurvy and different things that they could bring on the Oregon Trail. And I love that. I thought it was kind of like a pop-up video where you just get these little blurbs of, of facts. I thought that was really nice. I love the food facts that they brought on this. Jamie wins the quick fire and... All right, let's cut to the cheese. I mean, Chase. Once they deliver the elimination challenge, I immediately said, oh, shit, I don't think this is going to work out for Jamie. I really love the nuttiness of the reserved cheese. It's so yummy, but I'm nervous about cooking with it. I don't really work with cheese unless it's mac and cheese. Ah. (laughs) Cheese five ways is going to be the elimination challenge. In his context, they bring on the world's most charming man. (laughs) <laughs> who is Massimo Batura, who has 
Osteria Francescana in Modena. Which, have you been there? I have not. I've been to Modena because Modena is the capital of balsamic vinegar. Like it is the official town. It's like if you go to Plains, Georgia, like the pecans or Vidalia for the onions. And this is my home state. Like that is where you go for balsamic vinegar is where I think a ridiculously large percentage of the world's balsamic vinegar is produced. And he has created in his Osteria the ultimate Parmesan five ways that includes a demi-souffle of Parmesan, a Parmesan mousse, a liquid cream, a crisp, and topped with a foam. Tom, this is, by the way, it is known as one of the world's best restaurants, but the menu is the most whimsical, cute thing I've ever seen. On the menu, it, like this is the English menu. It's not like, oh, it's translated weirdly. An eel swimming up the Po River, which which runs through that region of Italy. Um, it is the, we are still deciding what fish to serve, exclamation, which is their way of doing uh, market fish. It is, this, this little piggy went to the market um, for 110 uh, euros. And that is their pork dish, presumably. And it's just a really whimsical menu befitting of a very whimsical dude. If you haven't watched the Chef's Table episode on Netflix with uh, Massimo Batora, you have to do it. It, like, it is so amazing to watch. He is delightful. And I'm really excited that he was a part of this season of Top Chef, even if it is on a zoom call. He's just so bright and he's like, he's like an elf. He's just, he's just so amazing. And just, I want, I want to just give him a big hug. It was great to see him. Um, those, I never knew about that, those dish titles or the, the, uh, on the menu. That's, that's amazing. Like I'd imagine there's one like bear pawing at a swan in the, in, at the lake. It's like, wait, how is that a dish? And how is it going to be 300 euro? I don't know, but I want to go and experience it. It was, um, it was good to see the Parmigiana back because last season uh, in the LA All-Stars, they they went to Parma and they got to do like the Parmesan thing. And so it was cool to see like it coming back on this episode with a twist is that they're going to go to Tillamook Creamery and get some um, – taste some of the cheddar because cheddar is king um, over there in Oregon. So um, I, I thought that this was a really nice – episode because it's a, ch- a real challenge but not in a gimmicky way. I think f- cheese five ways is really an obstacle for people who aren't in love with the heaviness of cheese. Me when I get a charcuterie board, I need like six different cheeses on there. I just love uh just grabbing cheese and the different textures and the different flavors and um I I really thought that this episode what, or the challenge here was really going to be interesting to see how they navigate this. And for, you know, for, for Jamie, she doesn't even really like cheese all that much. And she just th- think there's a heaviness to it. Um, I got really nervous for her from the start. And maybe this is confirmation bias for where the episode goes, but I just thought that this was not going to go well for her. In the same way, I thought Shota is going to be at a disadvantage here because cheese is not a predominant ingredient in Japanese cooking. You're not going to a sushi joint and being like, oh, let me get the cheese curds from the top, right? So I just think that maybe that is illustrative of how Shota is so far ahead of this game and that Jamie, my concerns with her are actually just concerns with 
when she's a, having to create something out of nothing or when she seems to be tied up in a, and how are you going to get Houdini this and get out of it? I have a lot more confidence that Shoda is going to do it than Jamie is. There's not a lot of cheese in Asian cooking. I have slight disagreements with you. I thought this challenge was a little bit of a troll. I have no problem with artificial adversity and deprivation challenges, no electricity, no spice. But this notion that, oh, being pushed out of your comfort zone isn't to me really a criterion unto itself. Like if you said, you can only use the food in the refrigerator in the teacher's lounge at PS 109, like that would take chefs out of their comfort zone. I think it's fair to say. doesn't mean it's a good idea. So I, I think for a final four, I don't want to say gimmicky as you characterized sort of the counter argument, but I just wasn't crazy about this one. I, I, I was a little better once I saw the creations themselves, but like it's just this is nothing I really want to eat except possibly, you know, as 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 we get revealed. Um, Wait, you Shoda's don't you don't like was, cheese? Tom, I love cheese. I have a block of Comte in my refrigerator at all times. Often I have a wedge of Morbier. Like I cook with Parmesan all the time. I'm doing a pesto this season, a mint pom- uh, mint pistachio pesto uh, out of the Travis Let Jelena cookbook um, with you know pecorino that we have on as a condiment on every freaking dish. I love cheese. I just think that like I, I don't look. You know, there are a lot of things I love that I don't need five ways as part of an entree. You just name five ways that you love cheese. But not on the same plate. You know, (laughs) yeah, I'm with you. I love a cheese plate. And as a guy who's, you know, kind of kicked sugar for the year, oh, man, am I looking for a cheese plate. But I just think, you know, and also, I mean, mean, again, and, and I appreciate the challenge it presents to the Asian chefs. You know, I do. But, oh, just because something drives you out of your comfort zone doesn't mean it's a good Top Chef elimination challenge. Now, I did moderate that a little bit over the course of the challenge. Yeah. But Kevin, when I think about five ways, I think of creativity, innovation, and thinking of different textures and different techniques. And I feel like that in of itself honors the the through line of Top Chef is that, yes, we're going to have these um, these weird gimmicky challenges, but in order to execute, you have to be skilled and you have to have that experience of knowing how am I going to do cheese five ways? Okay, I'm going to do that. And that's what the Massimo uh, Batura dish is is saying is like the foam, the crisp, the puree, the cream, all of this is different ways, different techniques that really make you flex as a chef. And for this episode, um, again, Gabe, what he produced and what Shoda produced, I felt like they were really flexing why they are the favorites to win this whole damn thing. And Don and Jamie struggled in the same ways that Don and Jamie have struggled in the past. And for Don, man, I was feeling I was feeling for you, Kev. A little, I mean, it just seemed again that Don at the la- classic Don at the last second. Oh, I don't know if I have enough time. And then boom, she leaves something off the plate, and this was. Dawn in a nutshell. The challenge ultimately rewarded the most technically adept chef. I mean, Shota, I think by a good distance, is the most technically adept chef remaining in the competition. So yeah, ultimately it did reward a guy who's never worked with cheese really, um, but as you said, had the technical expertise to go over it. You know, Dawn, you and I have been asking for the better part of three months, at what point 
will her <laughs> lack of time management get her kicked off? Because as I've said, up until this week, she did not produce a bad dish, um, it, it, which is extraordinary. Um, I, I don't remember, you know, it was, it was Paul kind of uh, over time the, the the most, I think, adept chef who never really produced a bad dish. I, I can't quite remember. But here it was. And she's got her Philly cheesesteak. So oddly, she kind of knows what she's doing, ironically. Yeah. Much yeah. sooner than she normally does. You know, she comes right out. I'm going to sous vide ribeye in whey, which whey is, you know, when you have a big yogurt or a small yogurt that had the liquid that's kind of on top, you got to like, um, that's whey. And it is a smart way to work in cheese to a uh, to a dish. Um, she's going to base it in cheese oil. She's going to chop it with a cheese salt. Like her conception was dead on. Um, however, Hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer. And I'm here to talk to you about ButcherBox. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com slash dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. As she has done more than once before, the Gougere, which apparently was the best bite of the week, like Alain Ducasse, is regarded as the guy who has the world's best gougere. But man, if you listen to the sh judges, it sounds like Don gave him a run for their money, the best bite. However, poor Brooke Williamson, you know, <laughs> you know, the ugly ducking at the table insofar as she does not get, <laughs> you know, she is the princess left home from, from the ball uh, because she does not get uh, the, the, the gougere. And it's very funny because there was a funny moment where it kind of just shows her just goodness that, you know, Padma says this might get Dawn kicked off. And like Brooke feels so terrible as if she's sorry she even said anything. Right, right. I have a controversial question for you. Mm. I feel like in past seasons, if we wind back the clock 10 years, I can't imagine in the final four, Chef Testants having the chutzpah 
to ask another chef who's also working against the clock to plate for me. I think coming out of the fall on the sword, I'd like to fall on my sword to Maria episode, that these chefs are picking on, they know Jamie is a pushover. And so when they get in the soup, they like, can you, I don't think Shota would have asked Gabe. I don't think Shota would have asked Don. I don't think Don would have asked Shota and Gabe. But they know little Jamie with the sound effects, who's cute as a button, who won't say no. They exploit her generosity in a way they would not exploit other chefs' goodwill. And in a way that I don't think anybody back in the old days, like you're competing. It's not that you won't be polite and hand me that pan, maybe, but come on. I mean, Jamie's plating their dishes. I mean, Jamie, by the way, Tell me for a second, if Jamie is not there to help Dawn, and I'm thrilled she was because I got Dawn and you got Jamie, but you tell me <laughs> for a second if Dawn doesn't get sent home because as poor as her plating was and leaving off a key element, she probably would have left off everybody's Gougere. Shoda asked Jamie for help too. and Yeah, like, that's what I'm saying. It's like, what do you – what this is evil this is evil you're you're exploiting her uh, amazing compassion and teamwork yes. and it's it's downright evil kevin i couldn't agree with you more it's tom sawyer asking everybody else to paint the fence and he's sitting back in a chaise lounge or whatever the hell they had back then as a chaise lounge <laughs> just her goodwill was exploited and meanwhile the poor woman doesn't have time to thin out her sauce. Right. Like with broth. And by the way, gets dinged for that. Now, I do want to go to Jamie, and as you alluded to, like didn't make the best decision. I mean, there is sort of this trope in cooking that you don't do fish and cheese. There's a reason you don't see fish and cheese. But so I think ultimately, obviously, this exploitation was just absolutely just unconscionable. However, she did not help herself. No, no. The fish and cheese because fish is light and cheese is heavy. I get it, but it's fish and cheese. Like what is the fish and cheese dish that – I mean I guess if you get a filet of fish at McDonald's, they're going to have some cheese on that, on that uh, filet, right? That's not a real dish. Or maybe the, if you go to a sushi joint, which is probably not a very good sushi joint, and you go for the Philly roll, which has the cream cheese with the salmon. When is that going to stop? I'm sorry, Kevin. Have you ever met anybody who wants cream cheese on their sushi? Who's asking for that? I don't know. It does seem like an abomination. And Kevin, like I like a good lox and, and bagel. Oh, yeah. Context. Smoked salmon and the cream cheese on there, but I don't eat it in my sushi, right? The reason why I'm going for sushi is not because of that, okay? No, this isn't Zabar's. Sorry. <laughs> so when Jamie's doing this, I meet, when she immediately said, you know, I'm going to do sea bass, I just – I don't know. If you're not in love with the flavor of cheese or if, or at least in the ingredient of cheese and then you're going to do a sea bass, which is just tasteless almost – it, it doesn't make sense. If you love the flavor and you want to shower the sea bass with that flavor, then cool. But for Jamie, I just felt so bad for her on this episode, coming off the emotional wreck that was the previous episode, and then going to this and then having Shoda, who is far and away, 
I think you would agree that in that kitchen, they probably see Shota as the LeBron James of that cooker. It's like, he's going to be at the finals and we got to take him down. And yet Shota's like, oh, by the way, I'm running a little late here. Can you fry my dumplings for me? I'm, there's three and a half minutes left and I'm not going to be able to get on the plate. No, I, th- I think I think she plated the dumplings. I don't know that she uh, did the dumplings. Okay, well, whatever. It's the but same. No, no, the, the point it stands. The point stands. When I look at Jamie, I just feel so bad. And that there were valid criticisms of her dish. The sesame sauce felt like a sesame sauce, not an actual cheese sauce, right? The flavors weren't coming through. The cheese flavors weren't coming through. Um and, you know, there was there was criticisms that there was no cohesion and not enough cheese focus. OK, but man, I just feel so bad for her because she's just trying to help people and they're taking advantage of your friendliness and it just feels exploitive. And you are absolutely right on that. I'm so glad you brought that up. But my question to you, Kevin, is Shoda, it seems just kind of unfair. He's like the kid in class that walks into the test day, didn't show up to class all all year long, didn't read the textbook, didn't show up at all, walks in and says, oh, we got a test today, and then aces the test. This guy, Shoda, doesn't really work with cheese ever, doesn't really know how he's going to do the dish, and creates just like this symphony of flavor and an amazing dish. He's just got a cheat code at this thing, Kevin. And then to exploit Jamie... Man, it just seems unfair. Yeah, it's like drawing Lou Williams in a switch, you know. <laughs> and I think you said it before, which is ultimately – and I didn't pick up on it when it was assigned as the elimination challenge, but I, I, I do agree. Ultimately, this was an elimination challenge about technique, and you've got a guy who is so technically adept that he can turn manju, which is a Japanese dumpling – into a, a tofu cheese concoction. Dashi is the base of so much Japanese cooking. He somehow can cheese it up. I mean, I've seen bacon dashi. You know, the, you know the, the 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 proliferation of weird dashi has been a nice development, in my opinion, in, in in food. But I mean, that's creative. He gets the crisp right. He gets with a twill. Um, he somehow makes a miso. What was so cool is he didn't have to wander off from his core competency, right? Like he was able to create a fundamentally Japanese dish from an element that does not appear in Japanese cooking. It just is seamless. And when I look at Shota, I know the points say that he's the favorite, but he has shockingly only won two episodes heading into this one or two elimination challenges. And that is super impressive. And he's got the personality, the sense of humor. Congratulations, Shoda. Not only did you win this elimination <laughs> challenge, but you won $10,000 from our friends at Tillamook. $10,000. Yes. I'm not broke anymore. <laughs> well, you know, a little less broke. One of the best Top Chef competitors we've ever seen heading into this finale here, um, last couple episodes, Shoda is just so good. And you are absolutely right. Who knows what's going to happen in the next two episodes, but there's nothing that's happened this season that makes me kick myself less trading those picks to not have the number one pick. So when you look at Shota, there's no top three. 
I think Gabe was pretty close to knocking him off. Odd decision to kind of, quote, put him, make him stand on the chopping block when they clearly loved his dish. Yeah. his Oh, the worst thing about your dish is that the apple was too strong, that it was too good, like it was the star of the dish. Like, pardon me. These are my apples. They're going into a calcium solution to set the pectin so that when I cook them, they don't fall apart. I love the science behind cooking. I got a master's in engineering, you know, but all the while I was working in restaurants. So there was this parallel path and engineering has definitely helped my cooking. I mean, cooking is thermodynamics and that's the first class you probably fail in engineering school. <laughs> he does the apples and cheese and Dale says, I actually loved the tart and, and Gregory Gorday didn't love that. He thought it was a little too strong, overpowering the tart. But to me, that's like a, that's a backhanded compliment is like, Hey, you you prepared this apple. It was so good that it, it it lessened the strength of the other elements of the dish. But he was he was excellent when he chose that as his central element. I was thinking, hey, he might be at the toward the top, but he can't win with this, you know, unless everybody else just just bricks it. But um, because again, I mean, one of the big complaints typically when you sort of go that way is but he didn't highlight the ingredient right like and and um i i do think that that was sort of a concern for me even as appealing as apple and cheese isn't it? it's appealing um it's really good but i mean i thought he did amazing you know again i think you want as you said a diversity of components like so he got a curd he got a foam he used the oil you know he had a sauce and he had a crisp so every single texture mm-hmm, that cheese mm-hmm. can lend itself to was in that dish. Uh, weird that, again, they put him on the chopping block and clearly they edited it so it made it like the, the couple of small criticisms were amplified for for dramatic effect to make it, you know, to make, give a kind of a threesome uh, yeah. in, in the in the anti-beauty contest. But it was clearly a Dawn Jamie thing. I really thought Dawn was going to go down. Me too, Kevin. How many times is she going to have the same mistake and survive? And my question is, do you think because... And, and in Brazil, we used to have this. And um, whenever you go to a Brazilian steakhouse, I'm sure people walk away feeling very full and needing to take like a, a slumber for for a week. But the pound of queijo, um, the little cheesy bread that you get with um, with your with your meal, that's what the gougier is. The gougier that she missed on the plate. I'm wondering, Kevin, if that element or that that bread puff, the cheesy bread was not as amazing as Edward Lee said it was. And it was just kind of meh, but she also left it off Brooke's dish. Do you think that was her saving grace that it was so good? Or do you think that actually worked against her that like it made it more? No, no, no. It was the best bite of the day. And just because she left it off. I mean, uh, confession to you, by the way, Tom, don't tell anyone. I love the Cheddar Bay Biscuits at Red Lobster. Oh, come on. They're amazing. By the way, I've been to a Red Lobster one time in the last – like <laughs> twice in the last 15 years just because you have to go to Monrovia, which is pretty far. Um, or you can go to one in La Cienega. But I got to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm about the Cheddar – like in the sort of weird chain kind of sit-down restaurants that is – the Bloomin' Onion, number one. Okay, yeah. In the chain. Total agreement with you, yeah. But the Cheddar Bay Biscuits at Red Lobster, <laughs> strong number two. When I was in college, my buddies were like, hey, want to come to Outback Steakhouse with me? I was like, yeah, sure, but I don't have any cash. Like, I, I only can really eat on campus. And they're like, all right, we'll pay for your meal, Tom, if you eat a Bloomin' Onion and a loaded cheese fries 
before we get our entree. And this is just college. We're a bunch of dumb frat boys. Like I was like, you have picked the wrong fucking appetizer because I will <laughs> yes. crush a Bloomin' Onion in no time. Kevin, when someone orders a Bloomin' Onion, are you like, actually, can we get two of those? Because I want one for myself. No, no. I mean, it is something that I, I could do half of a Bloomin' Onion. I mean, just so I know. There's, <laughs> a, there's, a, there's a law of diminishing returns at a certain point. No, sir. On a dare in 1994, I ate 50 McNuggets in a hotel room, a motel room in San Antonio, Texas. <laughs> and by the way, simple. I've also eaten a dozen. Cri- so, do you know Crystal? Because you're you're kind of a yeah. southerner. Yeah. Like yeah. another thing, the south helped us so much better than the north. Um, is is Crystal, and they have in Chattanooga, or at least they did on the competitive eating circuit, a Crystal. That's the one I want to enter. Oh, like because the Crystal bar. I've done, I've done fifteen in a sitting. <laughs> I'll tell you when I did it. Do you remember that first, the fourth game of the season down in Miami? We drove to Orlando for Thanksgiving Eve heat magic. You remember this? Yes, yes. I remember okay. I couldn't do the stand-up uh, video. Remember at, we were by the court and I could not do the video like segment. I had to like say like two minutes of, of, of content and I just could not do it over. Remember, you were so frustrated at me because you're, you're a pro at this and I was a young little boy. But hey, you had a crystal in Orlando? I had 15 crystals. I was stress eating so much during the LeBron in Miami year. I would go to Michelle Bernstein's restaurant and just house food. I put on 15 pounds that year. Senor Martinez. Oh, RIP. Oh, that was a great place. Oh, Senor Martinez was such a good spot. I remember I confronted her when she took the deconstructed Caesar salad off the menu. <laughs> like I, in a nice way, not like in an indictment. Like I didn't like serve her a subpoena. It was just like, oh, please, will you bring it back? Can I order it off menu? And she's like, no. <laughs> you know what, Kevin? That's even makes you cooler is if you go to the restaurant, you snuggle up at the bar. Like I remember you used to and watch the games on the TV and someone's, you know, looking at their menu and, and then they overhear the deconstructed Caesar salad and they say, oh, that sounds good. I'm going to lo- order that on the, wait a minute. It's not, that guy must be the coolest guy ever that he has an off menu item that he orders at Michelle Bernstein's restaurant. So that makes you so much cooler that you're able to do something off menu. I don't know how we got here, but it's delightful. We got here via the Red Lobster cheddar cheese biscuit. Found the queijo from your Churrascaria favorite Brazilian restaurant. Does every culture have a cheesy bread? I feel like some sort of cheesy biscuit or cheesy bread because, man, it's delicious. It is so good. Asian cuisine just doesn't do cheese. Yeah. By and large. I mean, I'm sure there are exceptions. And that's cool. I like That's cool. So here we are. Dawn and Jamie. I really thought Dawn might eat it. I was going to be heartbroken because I just – what a terrible way to go out. It's just I didn't get it on the plate. Now, the good news for Dawn is as we get toward the finale – the time restraints tend to loosen up. They want the chefs to do their best food, and there's a certain allowance to do it, you know, because at this point, it's like, hey, we just want you to cook the best food. I mean, again, at the finale, you get all day. So if she can get to the finale, Tom, if she can win in the final three, I think she has a real shot it upending Schroeder game because again she has not made a bad dish. You give Dawn enough clock, I think she is going to be a boss. I think she's going to be a tough out again. Just take away the time constraint, and she might be the best chef in this competition. As good as Shota is, 
two things. One, I loved the little Zapruder film like edit that they put in there. Of, like, <laughs> that's exactly what Eric said. He, like that's exactly what he said. The Zapruder film. <laughs> the Zapruder film, like the black and white grayscale, and like then highlighting the the dish that didn't have the the cheesy bread on it. Um, but secondly, Kevin, I don't know if you felt the same way, but when they said, "Hey, you 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 left the gujir off the plate." She was like, oh, but I triple checked and double checked everything. Oh, but Jamie, you, you helped me plate those dishes. Mm. I was like, no, you're not. You are not throwing Jamie under the bus for this. She didn't throw her off the bus. I mean, she kind of like pushed her toward the back where you get off the bus. <laughs> she was, Jamie, uh, you helped me plate those dishes. And she goes, no, I double checked too. And I was just like, no, you're not. You're going to ask Jamie for help and then you're going to throw her under the bus. Come on. She didn't throw her under the bus. She pushed her toward the door, but she did not throw her off the bus. Under the bus, by the way. It's not off the bus. I think it's under the bus. But in order to throw someone under the bus, you kind of have to get them off the bus. So yeah, look, Jamie, Jamie, heart of gold. Like, can you imagine in her when she hears Don look at her and say, wait, but you helped me with some of those dishes I was like, you aren't going to pin this on me. You are not going to pin this on me. And I'm glad the Zapruder film was in there. But man, Dawn skirts by again. She has a cardinal sin in this sport, which is she's she's double faulting every time, it seems, where she forgets to put something on the plate. And they keep acknowledging it's not like a secret. It's an open secret at the judges table. You can't keep doing this, Dawn. But guess what happens? She can keep doing it because she's still alive in the competition. Now, what's interesting is she's never paid for it before, but you get down to final four, you start paying because you don't pay for it in the early rounds because there's always somebody who just screws the pooch, right? Like there's always a worse dish and they forgive you for that um, because the sauce was great or the, the, the thing was the, the cooked perfectly. What do you see? Jamie is out. Jamie, please hack your knives and go. I want to thank you guys for this opportunity again. For you guys, like, to understand me now and my wackiness, I am wacky. Jamie, it was an absolute pleasure having you on Top Shop. You are zany and crazy and <laughs> never, never change. Embrace the wackiness. Yeah. I yeah. am the wacky. I can't wait to taste your food in your restaurant very soon. I can't wait to. Drunk, 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 lit, lit, lit every single one of you. <laughs> Whiskey on me. <laughs> we can't wait for that either. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I guess we can clear out the room like I cut the cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Let's handicap these three. I think it's pretty close. I mean, I look, you know how I feel about Shota. I, I gave away the farm to get him on my team. Um, I pulled like a let's trade for Herschel Walker. Um, I think he's better than Herschel Walker. Uh, but, you know, and Paul George and anybody else who commands the farm. But, I mean, again, I think Dawn with time. And I think Gabe just... Like when he scores, man, he scores. When he turns out a good dish, you know, he's got three wins. He's got three wins. Shota has two. Dawn has one. He's got three with three highs. You know, he's not screwing around. The idea that to me he is, you know, in a second tier is baloney. I'm not that, I mean, I'm creating a straw man who thinks that, but my point is I think he could win. So the standings are as follows. Shota has 74 points in our grading system, 74 points over the course of the season. Gabe has 64 and Don has 57. Oh, that's interesting. So 74, 64, 57. Do you think that is a fair representation of the gaps between the chefs? No, because again, I think the time constraint 
has hurt Dawn, and I would suspect her performance is proportional to the clock. Yep. And so I would be curious, Lynn, if you were listening, how does she do, in other words, as the challenge provides more time, is her success, you know, does it correlate to the clock? I would guess yes. If someone could do one of those plotting things where you see the line, what do you call those, Tom? Regression analysis yeah, of, of exactly. just doing a scatter plot and then you run the the regression, the best fit line and seeing if there's a, a strong correlation. And if R is, is greater than what, 0.5, then you got something there. I think, well, but the, to your point is that in the finale, there really isn't a time constraint. It's just here, cook your best, you know, five course meal. Um, and, or cook you, you know, it's, it's really the time constraints are really thrown out the window. So Don, I'm with you, like Shoda and Gabe have what I can muster is not much of a weakness. Both of them are pretty spotless in terms of their execution and their inventiveness, innovation and, and their skill. But Don clearly has an Achilles heel, which is she forgets to put something on the plate or does not able to get the last everything onto the plate. So I think but that's her only, that's her only flaw. But when everyone else is perfect, then that only is everything. We don't say, oh, Giannis Antetokounmpo has never been a good free throw shooter. We don't say, I mean, God, we gave him MVP twice, right? Like I think it's, he, she doesn't hit free throws. Like she's Shaq or Giannis or, you know, whoever. Like, like to me, again, when she gets the clock, she is fierce. And how many titles does Giannis Antetokounmpo have? Uh, Just saying. I'm just saying, would you rather have Shota or Gabe and Don going into the finale? So basically, Shota or the field? The field. Just, and I'm always, I mean, I think you and I know, I mean, the field is usually the right bet in most of these situations. Yeah. But not by much. Like, I, I would say it's 45 and then split the difference. And I would even give Dawn a slight advantage. So 45, you know, what, 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 30, 25. I also had two notes here on Tom Colicchio. One, he brought another hat out, which he's, he seems to be a little bit of a, um, uh, a hat aficionado that I didn't really know that he was. He, he had a really funny hat, I guess, with the, with the Japanese uh, challenge. And then he had another one here. I, I want to see. Does he have a collection of hats? Just that that like is is like his own closet full of hats. I'm curious on that. Next time we have him on the show. Secondly, did you catch that there was like a Tom confessional after the quick fire on this, where he, they like they have the camera on him and they have ask him a couple questions about what their uh, what the elimination challenge choices by the chefs were like. It's what we we rarely get like that Tom Colicchio in the moment interview like this like like the the quarter end interview with the coaches in the NBA where they're on the court like that came back in this episode and I think it comes back towards the end of the season like in the finales but the kind of like quarter end interview with the coach we got that on this episode with Tom and I wanted to make mention that I forgot that was a convention of the early seasons yeah. Yeah, and so they brought that back on this one, and uh, I, I appreciated that. It was good to see Nina Compton, former Miami yeah. chef, um, former Top Chef, uh, who I think many in the hearts of many fans is a champion on Top Chef there in New Orleans. It was great to see her back on the show, and man, I cannot wait 
to see what comes next. They're going to go to the coast for the finale where they shot Goonies and do some (laughs) gooey duck or razor clams and maybe some Dungeness crab. So given those ingredients that we know that they're going to do the coast and some seafood there, do you think anyone in particular has an advantage just knowing that they're going to be working with this type of seafood? I mean, you could say Shota just because... I think it's more of a staple. Mm -hmm. He could do it a million ways. Do you have any closing thoughts, Tom? Really upset about my trades this season. Not my best transactional. I might be Daryl Morey just doing it too much is is making transactions. You won the two trades, in my opinion. The one before the draft with the number one pick to get Shota. And then I give you Dawn on a plate. So feeling really bad about that. But Gabe, let's go, brother. Let's go. Let's win this whole thing. For Tom Habistro. This is Kevin Arnovitz, and this is Pack Your Knives. Knives.